The Start On Demand. demand. It's Brett. It's the Thursday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Well, sort of McNabb. She was off sick, so... Get well soon, Loren, hopefully back on Friday. But she's here in spirit because we're going to hear an interview that she did on Wednesday, Marijuana Legalization Day, at Delta 9 on Dakota, where she met a mother and daughter who are going to try it now, since it's legal. We're also going to talk about politicians and social media. Should elected officials be able to block people on social media? We recently learned the story of a family that hit a moose on the highway. What do you do if you see wildlife on the highway, especially a moose? We're going to visit with our buddy Barrett Miller from Fort White Alive, who's got some tips on how you can try to handle that situation if you ever find yourself in it. We're also going to hear from the president of the Manitoba Government and General Employees Union. An internal memo went out from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority regarding the security situation at HSC. It was meant to clarify things, but I think it's caused a bit more confusion, and the union is not happy about it. We're also going to talk to a man who's had problems with addiction in his life, and he sees nothing positive to come out of marijuana legalization, and he will passionately tell you why. And finally, we want you to hear an interview, in case you missed it, with Hal Anderson. He did an interview on marijuana as it pertains to the border and pardons, and it's helpful information. With marijuana being legalized yesterday, many Canadians who normally don't use it got in line yesterday to try it out. Loren McNabb was on location yesterday morning at Tokyo Smoke on Goulet. Then she moved over to Delta 9 on Dakota. And that's where she found a mother and daughter who were looking to give marijuana a shot. Corey Blom is the mother. Her daughter is Lene Blom. Corey has used cannabis before, once in Amsterdam, maybe three, four years ago. Here's Loren's chat with her. What made you want to come down today? Um, well, it's exciting. And I wanted to see if I can get something for pain. And I'm not more into, I don't want to get high or stuff like that. And so I just want to come and find out and see what it looks like and what they can um, give. And um, so it's more for pain, I think, that I'm here for and to see. And it's safe. Talk to me about the pain that you've been experiencing, if you don't mind. And tell me a little bit about what, what you've been going through. Uh, well, pain-wise, I've been in pain, um, chronic pain, the whole, I think, for the last 25 years. And I'm on pain medication. I want to go off it. So, you know, I've got um, uh, bad arthritis. I had knee replacements. I'm young. I'm, still, I'm just over 50. So I'm really um, struggling, back pain. Um, severe arthritis like I said and it's sometimes really difficult to get up you know and live a life drive get up walk and um, I think I'm going to try this and see if this will help and get off the pain medication because it's not nice to be on pain medication because I've got so many side effects being you know nauseous and makes you feel groggy and things like this so hopefully this will take the pain away and um, make me function better in life. You said you're not interested in smoking. So I'm you're scared. You're scared? How come? Because I really don't know of... Uh, I'm scared. I don't know what it's going to... The effect is going to be like. 
So you're worried about the high, like what might come with the high? Yes, I don't want, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that I might go into psychosis or, you know, freak out. So you're here with your daughter today. Is she going to help you through that or what's the plan? Well, um, she has never, I think she smoked once before. So we both like knew to this. I don't know when she did it and I don't want, you know, but... um, So you're both new to marijuana. Yes. You've heard that it could help with pain. Yeah, the oils I heard is very good. So you're going to try it together tonight, Um, this afternoon? You know, I don't know. Maybe this weekend because we still just got school and I've got lots of things to do during the week. So maybe over the weekend I'll, I'll buy now and then I'll savor it for the weekend when I don't have to drive around. And when I don't have, when I can just stay at home because... I don't want to, I'll first want to see what the effect's going to be like. Uh, incredibly thoughtful conversation. That's Corey Blom in conversation yesterday morning at Delta 9 on Dakota with Loren McNabb, looking to get some marijuana to see if it will help her with pain issues. Corey's daughter was there as well. Her name is Lene Blom, and she's going to try cannabis as well. You're going to do this together as a family? Yeah, we are. So for you, is it more just curiosity or what's your reasoning? I have really bad anxiety, so I'm hoping this is something that can help me with that because I know that the pills that I'm taking have so many chemicals in them and this is way more natural. So we'll see how that goes. It's fascinating to me because your mom said she's worried about you know, what the effects might be. Do do you have that same kind of concern? A little bit, yeah. I mean, not that this is something that we're doing for the first time. We don't really know what's going to happen. So I think that's going to be scary for both of us to see what the effects are going to be. But I've heard good things, so. I do wonder, in talking to them, have they explained to you that there's kinds that are better for pain or kinds that are better for anxiety? Yeah. Yeah, she um, explained to me, she told me that, but they don't have it in. They will probably get it in, sorry, um, today or during the week. Um, it's higher in um, the CBD. So if you're in pain, if you've got lots of pain, it's better to go higher in the CBD and lower on the THC. And um, she said um, what they've got and they can offer me today is the ocean view, but that is 11% THC. And she said it might give me a little bit of a high. So I'm very nervous about that. But she said it will help with the pain as well. If it does help, I mean, could this be, you know, I've I've heard people say it's a game changer. Are you really hopeful that this might make a huge difference? I'm really, I'm really hopeful that it's going to be more helpful because I don't like, I've been on pain medication for so long and I'm, you know, it's it's not because sometimes you have to up the dosage and then it's not working. And if this can really help, it's like you said, it's more natural. And then I would definitely consider continuing and using it if it will help with the pain. And what is it, what's it going to cost for that? Oh, the cost is $12 for a gram. That's Corey Blom and Lene Blom at Delta 9 on Dakota yesterday morning in conversation with Loren McNabb, both looking to try marijuana to see if it will help them. Corey has pain issues while Lene deals with anxiety. They both take medication and are hoping a more natural alternative might be the way to go. And Loren McNabb is going to follow up with them over the weekend to see how it went. And Corey's thoughts on wondering if it's how it's going to affect her. I can totally relate to that because I've mentioned this before. I have tried marijuana in the past four times in my life and two of the four times went very badly. I was a disaster. So marijuana doesn't get along with me, but I know there are different kinds, but it's still the, I'm curious to try it again, but I'm scared 
that the same thing might happen. Were you drinking at the time? I or, was or, drinking. At the so time. you know, I, I, and I, I know don't know anything really about it. I'm learning along with everyone else because it's not been a part of my life at at any time. And so I, I am fascinated to hear. Hopefully, we'll hear from some other. Uh, listeners over the weekend as well, just about the conversations you might have had over the weekend, maybe at the dinner table on Sunday, because I know at least one person, I won't out him here, but one person who I'm very close to, who I was shocked, who said, now that it's legal, I think I'm going to give it a try. And I just, I just about fell over. Really? Yes. And uh, so I really, really want to know from people and hear from people who are prepared to try this for the first time. And I, I think that example of the discussion that we just heard between Loren and, and Corey in particular is going to be a super common one for people in their 60s, in their 70s, and, and later in life, because there are so many people on so many medications so many pharmaceuticals that don't always work for them. And sometimes the side effects of those medications are worse than the medications themselves. Yeah. And so there are, there's, a, there's a certain segment of our population that are that looking for relief from the side effects of traditional medicine. And by all accounts, this is one way to, to uh, find some relief. And get off those meds. And once again, not being a pharmacist, doctor, or anything, we've got to be careful what we say and what what, what marijuana purports to do. You'll have to do your own homework on it. But uh, long list of things that it, it purports to uh, to relieve you from. Yeah, I mean, I, I know somebody who just recently got a hold of some kind of marijuana candies, and they they help this person sleep. You know, they have sleep issues, mm-hmm. a hard time falling asleep and restless sleep. And the last couple of nights been sleeping like a baby. So who we're, I'm learning all kinds of stuff that I had no idea existed with marijuana. And I would point out the two times where it went badly, I was drinking and then I tried the weed. So I later learned that that's not the order of operations you're supposed to follow. If you are going to combine the two, you're supposed to start with the marijuana, apparently, so I'm told, and then drink because otherwise you can have really bad side effects like I did. But the last time I did it, I was sober and it just kind of put me in a waking coma. I was super relaxed, but I like to the point where I I couldn't even speak. So I thought when I came out of it, I thought that wasn't fun. I think I'm done with that. To each their own, right? To each their own. And I think that's exactly what this legislation is all about. To each their own. Mackley McGarry McNabb. McNabb is off sick today. Jeff Bronze here. Kelly Moore, Jeff Forte. And we want to ask the question, should politicians be able to block... People on social media. Well, Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson is at the center of a legal test on whether elected officials have a right to block people on social media. Yeah, the mayor of Ottawa joined us on the air. He prides himself on being one of the most accessible mayors in the country. Joined us last year for a conversation about his city and three residents are seeking a court order declaring that Watson infringed their constitutional right to freedom of expression by blocking them from his Twitter feed. Watson said yesterday that it's his personal Twitter account and he has the right to decide who can see or comment on his tweets. But Paul Champ, the lawyer representing the trio, says Watson uses his personal Twitter account to communicate with Ottawa residents about municipal issues. Therefore, Champ says it's, quote, profoundly undemocratic 
unquote, for Watson to block certain residents. Should the challenge succeed, the case could have repercussions for politicians at every level across the country. And Jeff Braun, you brought this to our attention, and we've seen this with regards to Donald Trump as well. Oh, yeah. You know, there's the questions about whether or not, hey, hold on, dude, you're the president. Uh, you, you cannot block people. But, I mean, come on. Like, people, like, he would get millions of tweets a day or messages, Trump. Yeah. There's just no way he could possibly read all those if he wanted to, for one thing. No, but can, can should you be allowed to stop I think anybody? You, I think on Twitter you should be allowed to block a guy. Really? And I did. I tested with this Watson's account. I logged out of Twitter, and if you just go to Twitter.com and look for him or whatever, you can read his tweets without being logged in. You don't need an account. So those blocked people, while they can't you know, send him horrible me- – I'm sure they got blocked for a reason yeah, for just saying say. something ter- you know, So they can't write to him, but they can read his tweets. They have access to all the information he's putting out there. They just can't – and I'm sure, like, yeah, I mean, we've all been to Twitter. People get blocked for a pretty good reason usually. Kelly? I, I think this is 100% uh, correct on the, the mayor's part. He should be able to – it's his it's his social media. He should be able to choose who he wants to be insulted by and who he does not. And, and has there been any coverage given to the nature of the tweets that resulted in these three being blocked? I'm I'm just reading the, the <laughs> no 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 I'm, I, I'm not no no, <laughs> no I'm not blaming, I, no, no, I'm, just no asking, I'm teasing you like there there's got to be accountability for what you say on social media and if you've gone over the line of good taste well then there are going to be repercussions yeah I think uh, anybody should be able to block whoever they want if like, they don't want to interact. With, we've had to block some of our listeners, right, on our text line because sure. they cross the line and get into hateful stuff and start cursing at us or, you know, whatever kind of racist, hateful commentary. We don't need that. So we just say delete and goodbye. And as Jeff pointed out, if you really need the information and you want to follow what Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson is putting out into the world, you can still do it. And it's interesting. It, it, was Jim Watson not the most popular mayor in a recent poll? Yes. Yeah, I, I love the guy. I, I just, everything he's done, you know, he steps up as a leader just during the recent tornado. Uh, he's the kind of guy that, that you want leading the way. So for I think for him to want to block these three, there had to be some pretty severe comments that were made along the way because he doesn't seem like, the, to, you know, a guy that's a thin-skinned individual. 30 nope. seconds, Greg, what do you think? I, I, I think that if you're a... In the public, you should have to leave your tweets open and uh, just deal with it, man. You can mute these people, uh, but you do not have to block them. I I think it's uh, somewhat undemocratic myself. We'll see you in court, Greg. Goodbye. (laughs) I'll see you there. Lawyer up, Jeff Braun. And then you can never block any of your haters either then, right, Greg? We start this hour, though, Greg, with one of our favorite guests. Yeah, well, as we shared with you earlier this morning, a harrowing experience for uh, three men from Steinbach as they came face-to-face, literally, with a moose. And uh, I got to tell you, Barrett, all the time that I spent in British Columbia driving through the mountains, you would be fearful of elk, falling rock, uh, bighorn sheep, all sorts of different wildlife, uh, and a moose is a big deal. Like, they're a big animal. They weigh as much as a car close? Uh, they weigh as much as a small car, yeah. and they all that weight is up high. Um, moose are built like, well, they are a sausage on sticks. 
Sausage on sticks. Thousand wow. thousand pound sausage on sticks. Wow. No, they are uh, they are very big animals and can do a lot of damage to a vehicle. So, so what, what should you do if you see one? Well, the trick is the, the trick is seeing one. The trick is seeing one. Their eyes are up so high that even with your brights on, you might not see the eye shine. Moose really? don't reflect the same way that a deer does, so you need to be very cautious. Now, um, it used to be that you need pretty dense bush to find a moose. They do like wetlands. They do like heavy forest. Now, moose habitat sort of shifted in Manitoba over the last decade, I think, to seeing more of them in places where they haven't before, more upland areas and certainly more prairie areas. Uh, moose would never have, you would have never thought about moose around Verdon. And now the southwest corner of Manitoba has them as well. Yeah, we had a text from uh, one of our loyal listeners this morning who drives out there four times a week, mm-hmm. and he says, yeah, he said, I'd seen elk mm-hmm. near Carberry, very common, mm-hmm. I guess, crossing the highway uh, from the from the Carberry Sands area, uh, says that moose are becoming more and more frequent. Mm-hmm. We've had the moose on campus at the University of Manitoba. Yeah, that, that was unusual, but yes, we did. But, yeah. uh, but happening, and there was that moose, and some people thought maybe it was the same moose last fall that was traversing the area on the other side of the river mm-hmm. around St. Anne's or St. Mary's Road, mm-hmm. right? So uh, why are moose having to adjust their habitat and, the, and their range? Okay, well, first off, um, in some of the traditional areas of Manitoba, like if you think north and east, white-tailed deer have moved in. White-tailed deer carry a parasite that sort of make the deer a little sick, but make moose really sick. It's called brain worm, and you can sort of figure out where it goes inside a moose. And uh, when the command center is no longer in control, traffic is no longer a thing. Now, that's not leading to more collisions. Moose are just big, active creatures. Moose are so big and so know they're so big and can be territorial enough. A deer, deer are afraid of just about everything. Moose have very little fear, so they will walk out onto a roadway. Now, to actually see them and avoid them, during the daytime... If you see a moose, slow right down. Don't expect that it's going to jump away like a deer. Don't expect that it's going to clear for you. It's big and territorial. It knows that it may weigh out. Now, if you're sitting there in your little Hyundai, it outweighs you. It, it, it takes a stand. Yeah, yeah. So stop, let it clear. At night, um, drive to conditions. If you are on a narrow highway, if you can't see the ditches well, slow down. Now, I... Uh, I'm not a traffic safety guy. I, I do like getting places on time. I also like getting places in one piece. So for everybody out there who's of that same opinion, you know, yeah, 110, 120 down the Trans-Canada seems okay until there's a sausage on sticks, a thousand pounds that you have to break for. So truly drive to your headlights, drive to conditions. If you do see one, if that nightmare scenario of there's four legs on the highway and a big body coming, Hammer the brakes. Don't swerve into the oncoming lane unless that's your only option. Try to point your vehicle where the moose has come from. Like if it's coming from the passenger side, you steer towards that passenger side. You want to clip, not have the full animal hit your vehicle if you can. Try to slow down to make that collision as slow as possible. 
Now, I've never tried this, thank goodness, and I can't swear to its efficacy, but the state of Maine actually offers the best guidelines that I could find for somebody who absolutely has to hit a moose. You mean like in the United States? Yeah, like the, the state, the, the state of, of Maine, Maine okay, the Maine Department it. of Transport, yes. um, and they have tons and tons of legal disclaimers. Don't sue them. Don't sue me. Don't sue anybody. <laughs> Hammer your brakes. And at the last moment, let up. So your car lifts just a little bit and you impact a little bit higher. Um, sort of like pulling up at the last minute to sort of lessen the impact of a body check or a tackle. You're still going to get tackled or checked, but it's sort of, it's taking the hit just a little bit better. Best thing? Drive to conditions and avoid. Now, it's fall time. The rut is on. Rut's up, guys. Um, <laughs> that means that the female moose and deer are getting ready to breed. And that means that the male moose and deer are starting to follow. Now, in the city, we got way more deer than we have moose. We probably have one to zero moose in the city of Winnipeg this morning listening in. We've probably got a couple thousand deer. Deer, not nearly as dangerous, but they still do a lot of damage. And if you swerve into oncoming traffic, you swerve and you hit a tree, you take that deer wrong, you could get hurt. Slow down, especially in places like, well, I know around the Concordia Hospital now there's deer. Chief Pegwis Trail, there's deer. Grant and Roblin through the Assiniboine Forest are notorious deer spots. Slow down. Realize that they're thinking more about making funds and that there will be deer next year. They're a year. little distracted, yeah, they shall are. we say, Barrett? And if the females aren't quite ready for the male's attention, they're going to run away from him. If that means running across traffic, they'll do it. If he's really interested, he's going to be head down, sniffing the ground, walking right out with one thing on his mind, and it's not going to be oncoming traffic. We're also most active at sunrise and sunset. That's when rush hour happens, and that's when they're most active. So... Please do slow down, not just for the deer, but for ourselves. Yeah. And one final question here. These these folks who hit this moose, they were driving, a, you know, a Mazda, they were a car instead of a Ford Edge. And they suspect mm-hmm. that because they were driving the smaller, lower to the ground car, that's why they survived. Uh, it does, does that make sense to you? They went underneath it. It does, but I don't think you can count on that. Um, it does. Um, I also, I do think that even though cars are cheaper than they used to be. I think that they are being built better with impact from always sort of being right. thought about. Yep. One way or the other, um, if you do hit, try to follow those guidelines. Um, if you do hit, make sure that everybody's okay. Get call for help as soon as you can. I'm not sure there's any one vehicle that's going to protect you if you hit a couple thousand pounds of meat on sticks. Yeah. Although, you know, you can always... I think the last thing that you would do after you let up off on the brakes is cross your fingers, call out to whatever uh, whatever you believe that's bigger than you in the universe, and uh, at that point, just you're in for the ride. Barrett yeah. Miller from Fort White Alive. What's the website? www.fortwhite.org. Thank you so much for the visit, Barrett. Good to chat with you again. All right. start this segment at HSC, where an additional security guard is being brought in to help deal with an increase of violent incidents. 
However, a memo obtained by Global News shows there is some gray area in what those security officials can do. The memo reads the additional guard, quote, is not to be expected to physically intervene in incidents of aggression other in self-defense. However, should an egregious event occur, a moral duty to assist would be the expectation. Acting Chief Operating Officer with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, Lori Lamont, says the security have the training and legal ability to intervene if someone poses a risk. That's exactly what we expect them to do, and um, they are trained to do that and do that in the course of their duties. Now, that conversation happened on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham at 6.08 yesterday. You can hear it on the audio vault at cjob.com. And they also spoke with our next guest right after that chat, but we just wanted to get an update this morning. The president of the Manitoba government and general employees union, Michelle Goronsky, is our guest. And uh, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, I would say that this story has taken a lot of twists and turns, something that, in my opinion, and, and I'm sort of editorializing here, um, that felt like the government and the WRHA were saying, yeah, this isn't really a big deal. This isn't a story. This is an issue, isn't it? This is a major issue, and I don't know how I can get that through their thoughts, their minds. They need to understand at this point now, especially after the interview yesterday, our officers are feeling so extremely disrespected and undervalued. You know, for Lori Lamont to say that they expect the officers to do this without giving them the authority to do it is just unbelievable. I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is such a problem. We can make sure that marijuana users, that there is, you know, authority for the safety officers, the cadets and the river patrols for marijuana users, but we are not providing the same safety against meth users. And I don't understand why this is a problem. Let's sit down and work this out. That's all we're asking for. So what about the inclusion of an outside security officer being provided by Garda uh, Contract Security? Well, I'll tell you, I've been overwhelmed and flooded with emails from the officers from HSC that tell me, you know, the Garda guard was there. We appreciate having someone else there to help direct traffic. Absolutely. But we do not have officers in place that have the authority to provide the safety and the protection that is needed for the public, the patients and the staff. And, you know, for clarification, the officers have definitely informed me that they have only had four officers in adult emerge since last Friday, October the 12th. They have not been there for years and years. So we do need to sit down. I'm not sure where Ms. Lamont is getting her information from. She needs to talk to the officers that are trying to provide this protection. Michelle Goronsky is the president of the Manitoba Government and General Employees Union. And Michelle, you said something uh, just a few moments ago that I'm trying to untangle. So I'm going to ask you just to maybe do that for us, that these security guards have the permission but not the authority did you say that right well what i heard and what i've been told is that there is an expectation that they provide the safety needed when an incident happens but they do not have the authority our legal our lawyers have told us in no uncertain terms that these officers do not have the authority or the protection to be able to provide the safety and the protection needed do the HSC security guards have that authority? No. 
So the, neither the HSC guards or the Garda guards have. So it's a, the, as far as the WRHA is concerned, it's a moral obligation, but they, they don't legally have the authority to do that. That's my understanding. And when I read the memo, it says a moral duty. I would really like someone to write out for me what a moral duty does and what legal protection our security officers at HSC and any other hospital in this province what that moral duty means and what protection they have to do it. It's sort of like giving someone a badge, uh, but no gun and no handcuffs to, you know, the tools of the trade, so to speak. That's exactly the concern that we have, and that is what our officers have been saying for a number of years. It has gotten much worse now with the meth crisis in Manitoba. You know, the drug-induced psychosis has resulted in a real spike of violent situations that involve patients and the security staff at HSC and other hospitals in Manitoba. Our members want to be able to step in. They want to be able to do everything they can to protect other staff, the patients, their families, the public, and themselves but they are not being given the tools nor the authority to do it. That's all they're asking for. I believe that there is a fairly simple fix. It might take us a bit of time to put it all in place, but there is a simple fix. Let's give these folks the ability and the authority to provide the protection we need. When Manitobans go into hospitals to get medical help and when the staff that work there go to their workplace to provide that medical health, they should not be scared to do so. We should be able to walk in confident and knowing HSC, the WRHA, and this provincial government has our backs and has our protection for us. Michelle Garonsky, thank you so much for joining us this morning. She is with the president of the Manitoba Government and General Employees Union. Right now we want to introduce you to somebody who is not... Happy with the legalization of pot. His name is Tony Schaefer with Adult and Teen Challenge. He joins us live this morning on The Start. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning. How are you? Doing well, sir. So why do you, why do you not see anything positive coming from legalizing pot? Um, well, I just, I guess from where I sit, from behind my desk, uh, I talk to a lot of families and a lot of uh, our clients. They've all you know, started off somewhere and uh, usually smoking weed. Um, I know in my own life, um, I smoke. I started smoking weed at a young age and that just kind of progressed as, as my addiction progressed. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think that it's just another thing out there that could be potentially abused now and uh, could be put in the wrong hands, I suppose. Yeah, and you know, uh, Tony, it's hard not to look at alcohol and and cigarettes because those are the conversations I'm having with my kids, right? Uh, along the same front with with marijuana, just because it's legal now doesn't mean that you need to or ought to want to use it. So I understand uh, that a lot of people view marijuana and alcohol as gateway drugs to other things, but. Are there not people who have a propensity or a predisposition, perhaps, to be addicted to just about anything, whether it be gambling, smoking, or meth? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I don't know if about predisposition. Uh, I don't really know too much about that. Um, but I do know that, uh, yeah, I guess some people, you know, where they're at in terms of uh, uh, 
where they're at in life, yeah, sure, they could be more susceptible to addiction than others. Um, I wouldn't compare marijuana with alcohol. I know alcohol is uh, probably the number one uh, drug that we deal with, and then number two would be the meth. Tony, when you you talk about that, you, you know, people start with booze or weed and that can open the door to other things. That always, whenever we hear comments like that, that always generates reaction from our listeners who say marijuana is not a gateway drug. So what do you say to those people? <laughs> um, well, that's great. That's great that it's not a gateway drug for you. Um, it was a gateway drug for me. It, it was a gateway drug for a, a lot of people, a lot of our clients. And so that's, you know, you can say that it wasn't a gateway drug uh, due to your experience and interaction with it, but you can't deny that it is actually a gateway drug for a lot of people, including myself. So it was like, hey, I started smoking weed, I started drinking, and you do stupid things when you're drunk. You know, it kind of removes that filter. You do things you normally wouldn't do uh, sober, right? And so I think that's kind of how it works is that, you know, you get intoxicated, things happen, you know, uh, situations come up and you agree to do certain things that you normally wouldn't agree to do to be sober, right? Because the filter is kind of removed. And uh, yeah, people say, you know, pot isn't addictive, uh, but they smoke it every day. Um, and that pot isn't a gateway drug well it was a gateway drug for me so you can't deny that tony schaefer with an incredible organization uh, teen challenge adult and teen challenge uh we'd like to talk to you again uh, about so much more we have mental health crisis as well as a meth crisis in our community and uh we'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that down the road if uh, the door's open for us to do that excellent yeah i'd love to Tony Schaefer, thank you so much for joining us this morning from Adult and Teen Challenge. One of the concerns, however, that Canadians have been expressing in connection with the legalization of cannabis has to do with crossing the border into the United States. We discussed briefly the potential for your credit card purchase history to be searched by border agents, depending on where the physical server that holds that information lives. We had that chat yesterday. One of the other overall discussions involves pardons for a crime that is of yesterday, at least by proposal, won't any longer exist. In addition to the historic legalization of cannabis nationwide, the federal government announced yesterday it will be looking at ways to make things, quote, fair for Canadians with criminal records for pot possession through issuing pardons. So as of right now, somebody with a uh, simple possession charge under 30 grams, when they're convicted of that, they have to wait a, a waiting period of five years after the completion of their sentence and on top of that, pay $631 to our government to even process the application. So what our government is proposing is that instead, there will be no waiting period. So you do not have to wait five years if you were convicted of, of possession recently. And on top of that, there's no $631 fee. So it sounds like there's still going to be an application process, but no fee less waiting periods, and I think they're going to try to do it quicker as well. And obviously, as of today, there will be no more possession charges because pot is now legal. 
Correct. Yeah, anything under 30 grams is now legal. And so when will this uh, take effect? Because you're talking as though it's not in effect yet. When? Yeah, so they, they haven't committed to a date, and they haven't uh, even proposed the legislation right now. So as of right now, they've just issued a general statement about it. Listen, this is where we're going towards, and we'll be working on it. That's gotcha. immigration consultant Miss Mitch Jessamon of Pardon Services. He was on Hal Anderson Afternoons yesterday to go over the process, implications, and told us that a simple pardon isn't the be-all, end-all if you want to travel into the United States. Pardon isn't an approval to enter the United States. Um, all it does is seal your record. It doesn't erase the fact that, it, you know, you pled guilty or you're convicted. So the U.S. requires you to apply for a, an entry waiver, and that's an application through their government, in order for you to be able to be approved to enter their country. So a pardon wouldn't be good enough. And they're very, you know, they're very tricky in terms of how they answer or ask questions, I should say. They ask you, have you ever been fingerprinted? Have you ever been to court? Right. So regardless of whether or not you have a pardon, truthfully, your answers are still yes to those questions. And as a result, you're going to need a waiver. And that's what my office assists. So what is it going to look like when we cross at the border as of today? I think that's going to be a, a wait-and-see kind of thing. Um, they've already issued a statement saying, they being the U.S. Uh, Customs and Border Protection, that they won't be denying people working in the pot industry if they're not crossing for business. So, you know, people working in the industry crossing for general tourism, they should be okay. Um, having said that, I'm sure they're going to be on the lookout for smells and, um, you know, all the telltale signs of a, a person that's driving under the influence of marijuana when you're entering their country. So I don't think they'll start posing the question to everybody, do you smoke marijuana, have you ever? But they will be on the lookout. And if you exhibit any signs of being under the influence, um, I, you know, be sure that they're going to be questioning you very intensely. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how uh, the U.S. border people handle this and, and how intense they are. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where, you know, it's that's where the wait and see thing comes in. It, it You know, we're, we don't have all the answers right now, and it is going to depend on the discretion of the officer that uh, you're mm -hmm. dealing with. And unfortunately, when there's that much discretion put in somebody's hands, it can go a lot of different ways. So we want to know, did you cross into the States yesterday, maybe this morning? We know our signal goes deep into North Dakota, South Dakota at times, Minnesota. We'd love to hear from you and whether or not it was any different than it was the last time you entered the United States. 204-780-6868. If you've got a good text messaging plan or if you want to shoot us an email, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. Yeah, it is scary to think about the implications that we live in a country now where it is legal. But if you go down to the United States and they ask you, do you smoke marijuana? Let's say you say yes. Does that mean they're going to pull you over and search your car and tear it apart? I know that I, I've never had my car torn apart or anything like that, but I've been pulled in to customs before. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I had big earrings and my buddy had big earrings. And I think they, you know, and I, that's fair. They probably just wanted to have a peek. They pulled us into the little room on the side. They could see we were both scared out of our minds and they started gently going through our stuff, but they quickly realized that we were a couple of Harm, teddy bears. Harmless. Yeah. Um, and, but if that, if this is now the, the norm where they're going to start asking, as he said, maybe not every time, but lots of time, are you going to be in jeopardy of being pulled over every single time you go across? And what happens if you have marijuana in your vehicle uh, but you clean out your vehicle, but let's say there's like a trace of it. 
I've heard seed can get you in trouble, man. Just a seed. I've heard that. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.